Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Rolling through a hot Monday afternoon. Stay hydrated. Put some sunscreen on. Be safe. Hope you're having a wonderful day. If you make your way home, if you have AC... Crank it up. Otherwise, oh, window down. Oof, this is the greatest. Still something awesome about driving window down. Got the old elbow on the windshield. Oof. Love it. Welcome back to the Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca, where the odds are definitely favoring the Nuggets tonight, uh, as they should be. Go to PlayAlberta.ca, Alberta's only regulated online gambling website, where all the revenue stays right here in the wonderful province of Alberta. As it's time now for the Rochog Report, brought to you by Next Gen Transportation, heavy haul transport provider, 100% locally owned and operated, and proud supporter of numerous youth sports teams and the Spruce Grove Saints. Check them out, nextgentransportation.com. Ryan Rochog uh, joins us. Uh, Shogger, one game in, and you're just riling up the coach. I love it. Um, I have to say, though, um, I was kind of perplexed why the coach is upset about asking questions about uh, when your team basically loses the game on a one-yard draw. That that was the game. Like that's of course that's a question you have to ask. Yeah, no, a thousand percent it is. Like, I mean, if fans were driving home after the game last night talking about two things, I think, and I'm not sure which order. It's either an 18-game losing streak, or it's three chances to punch it in that that didn't go in. Those are the first things that fans are talking about now. Maybe further down the list are some of the things that Jones mentioned, or maybe further down the list are some of the things that that you know Victor Kui mentioned about the game day presentation and the evening and all the, the positive energy from a lot of th- things done really well. Right? Those are all things that are discussion points about last night's game. But um, yeah, three chances to punch it in in an 18-game home losing streak are top of the list, and it has to be asked. And I think that if their strategy is to just be combative with the media and try and make it sound like we're being unreasonable with our questions, if that's their strategy to navigate their way through this uncomfortable thing, um, I mean, sure, I guess. I want to revisit it, though, because the questions aren't going anywhere and neither is the media. What did you make of uh, Taylor Cornelius' first game of the year? Yeah, I thought he was shaky. Uh, I thought it was a slow start. I thought he showed some good signs. I thought he was inaccurate with his arm too often. I don't think that he used his feet enough. I thought he stood in there and tried to really wanted to make passes, which is commendable. Um, but I, you know, I would have liked to have seen him put in position to maybe roll out a little more and use those legs, keep the defense off balance a little bit. Um, stood in the pocket, looked for the throws, got caught a lot, got hit a lot. 
Um, so I, I think it was underwhelming and, and inconsistent. But that little flash we did see, uh, I thought, was, was telling. I think there's something there. It was a, it was a good flash. You guys? Wow, he, he clearly never looked comfortable. He was missing so many throws. The only thing that it felt like, they're like, well, these are the throws he's missing. Let's just keep calling it and hope that he makes it. Uh, I thought they would have went for a few more jump balls because you don't have to be as accurate in a jump ball. Just put it into an area. And lots of receivers will tell you, hey, that's sometimes you help the guy out. And the quarterback, oh, I completed another one. Now I feel better yeah. about myself. Um, you know, it didn't help yeah. with their running game. Like, their old line got murdered. And... Yeah. Um, I think that didn't help their quarterback because they came in. All they talked about was they want to be able to run the ball. We're going to be able to run the ball, and then they couldn't run the ball to to save their life in, in that game. Really, Ryan, and, yeah. and, and I, th- I think that cost them. I think uh, a good point that was made to me, and I'm from someone who definitely would know, and I'm not going to say who because I don't know that they would have wanted me, you know, repeating it on the radio. But somebody with lots of experience made an interesting point to me last night that they were throwing to a lot of receivers that were standing still. And that's not really the design of these receivers that they've brought in, um, that they're more built to hit them on the fly and let them run as opposed to being those really elusive guys after the catch that can start from a, a dead standstill and would have liked to seen some play calling that maybe got guys in motion a little bit and, and, and you know, hey. instead of the quick hooks and the, the catch standing still, a little bit more in motion kind of, you know, catch it in stride type plays. So you're telling me that the play calling of McAdoo wasn't up to par? Shocking. Yeah, it's it's often talked about. Um, I think there's I think people know there's a real strong loyalty there uh, with the head coach, um, and it's been an issue. We've talked about it lots over the you know last little bit here on on the show last season and this. Um, how big an issue? I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess we'll see. So what 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 percentage of that do you put last night on? the plays that were called? Well, I think it's a combination. Well, I could not the, – the third call on third and one when you bring in three receivers, why? Like Milt Stiegel said, receivers barely like to, to block DBs. Now you're going to ask them to block big guys? Yeah, like, what do you and especially with? one who had his freaking insides rattled something fierce earlier in the night. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought at key times their play calling, I would put it right up there uh, as a big issue similar to the play of their quarterback. Yeah. And I, and I think that's fair. You know, I do. So we'll see if they adjust. Uh, it wasn't the result they wanted. Like, I think this organization, I think they did some good things yesterday. Like, I walked in from outside, and I, like, stopped and looked at the tailgating going on, and I was like, huh, like, wow. It was bigger and more and more fun and live music, and it was really cool. What a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. And then I walked into the stadium, and it was like, huh, you know, it, it filled up kind of nicely, and there was a good crowd on hand. And they did a really nice job, um, you know, with the tribute to Salisbury. Very emotional, very well done. Um, having Cecily there with Evander Kane I thought was really cool. The flyover with the chopper and the standing ovation for the military. Like, they, they hit a lot of really positive notes in that game last night. I, I really think so, and I think they're trying. Um, so lots of stuff that, you know, is is – Stuff that needs to happen, and this—I mean—they shouldn't be getting a giant pat on the back for this. This is their job is to do these things properly, but it's been an issue, and they, I thought they did a good job. So, but at the end of the day, the, the result is the result. So, for you know, the combination of Jones to do what he did post game—that's a bad question. He says to you know a veteran video journalist from Global, 
that's a bad question. Like, in no way was that a bad question. For him to suggest to me, you know, what he did about the question I asked, and then for Victor Kui to get on Twitter later that night and talk about how the media is going to put a negative spin on this. What kind of spin would you like us to put on it? Like, that, to me, it was, yeah, it wasn't a great look from those two post-game. Yeah. Right. Ryan Sean joins us talking all things CFL right now. Elks lose to the Rough Riders uh, last night down at Commonwealth. Uh, what about the other side of the ball, defensive side of the ball? Did you see uh, some of those younger players kind of having an impact? Yeah, I mean, but look at the point total, right? Uh, on a night where the the offense was sputtering and they needed to keep it, uh, they needed to keep it down. I, I thought they did a pretty good job of that. There were some hard hits in that game. I thought I saw a few times too where the Riders marched it down and then the Elks held. Like that one drive that was all the way down the field and they held. Well, that's we don't we haven't seen a ton of that. We didn't see much of that last year. They always broke in those situations, and so yeah, you don't want the, you know the ball round down your throat 100 plus yards down the field but they held so i would say that from a defensive standpoint guys i thought there were some positives and i thought they were sturdy um in some areas that mattered uh, on the defensive side of the ball i think there's more to build off of on that front wouldn't you say Oh yeah, I, I, defensively because you got to remember the the Elks were the worst defensive team in the league last year. Yeah. So they, they only only one way to go but up. And you know, I'm not sold that you know Saskatchewan's offense. Like I'm not a big Trevor Harris fan, so um, I'm not sure how good their offense is. So we'll have to see. I think there'll be a much tougher test in, in BC this coming weekend on Saturday. But uh, you know what? A much better start. They're a much quicker defense. That's the one thing I noticed right away. Like, they are way yep. faster, even faster on special teams. Like, their punts are good. Their field goal kicker, special teams, defense. This game, it was all on the offense. The, the offense lost this game uh, more so than Saskatchewan's defense won the game, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. And uh, I got to make some adjustments. We'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. But I agree, it wasn't. It wasn't good enough. And um, yeah. So now she's at 18, and they'll get a chance in a couple of weeks. Be interested to see if the if the if they they need to go and get a win in their next game. If they get a win in their next game, they've got a chance at coming back to a you know a fan base that remains ignited, and uh, you know they have a chance to, for the, for a similar type atmosphere in their next game. If they, I mean, minus the Ryder fans, but they need to get a win in their next game. I think, you know, for fans not to be frustrated and check out. Well, it's going to be tough. BC's good. Uh, I think yep. BC's going to be a decent team. So, And that's why what's so disappointing about this loss was it's a game that was right there. You know, you end the streak. You never have to talk about it again. Even though the, the coach and everybody in the organization feels like you can't talk about it, of course you have to talk about it. It's like, you know, the, the longest home losing streak in, in CFL history. And I got to think it's got to be the longest in, in uh, North American pro sports. Like, who's lost 18 in a row? I'd, I'd have to go back to maybe like the Washington Capitals when yeah. they only won six games. I'll have to look at that one. But Like, um, if you it's... wanted to say, if you wanted to say, look it, as far as I'm concerned, this football club is 0-1, and we need to have short memories to be successful in pro sports. So while I understand the question, and while I understand the fans' frustration, trust me, fans, when I tell you, we want to have short memories in here. So we're 0-1. We're disappointed at that. We're going to tee it up, you know, line it up again next week and try and do better. But I understand the frustration the fans must feel. But we're going to have short memories in here. Like just something like that, right? Not, that's a bad question. Yeah. No. I wholeheartedly agree. Shogger, have yourself a wonderful day. We'll chat with you tomorrow. See you guys.
Ryan Rashog from uh, TSN, the Rashog Report, brought to you by NextGenTransportation.com. Uh, when we return, yesterday a historic bad day, unfortunately, for the Elks as they keep the losing streak going, but it was nationally a historically great day. We'll discuss that next on The Gregor Show, presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Con man just crushing it. It's oh, a great tune, buddy. Great tune. Welcome back. Monday edition of the Jason Greger Show with Jason Strudwick, Connor Alley. Hope you're making your way home safely. Serenity now. For those of you on the south side of the Hende, serenity now. That's all I'm going to say. You know what's going on if you're over there. Serenity now. Okay. My goodness. My goodness. I don't know if it's like, is a bridge ever going to get fixed? Like, ever. Ever. We'll see. Now, we're going to get to uh, Help Me Understand, brought to you by Elite Promotional Marketing, where uh, anything that you need for your company, whether it's for a golf tournament, maybe just for a little thank you, you need some plaques, you got a long, lot of long-serving employees, go to ElitePromoMarketing.com, your one-stop shop for it all. And, uh, man, on Sunday, uh, something that oh, well, many people living had never seen in their lifetime because it's been almost 70 years since a Canadian won the uh, Canadian Open. And uh, Nick Taylor, minus 20 through the th- final three days, minus 15 through the final two days, and then a 72-foot putt in a playoff. And he wins. Uh, Bob Herrig joins us. And, Bob, that was you couldn't write a better script than that one. I don't even know if anybody would have ever thought that was possible for Nick Taylor to come from where he did in, in the way he started the tournament, uh, three over, and then absolutely just ripped up the course Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You could not have written that. No chance. It was crazy. And, <laughs> um, and um, obviously the ending was really crazy. And uh, it was a... Uh, it was, it was a, you know, I thought the reason I thought the ending was so great was because Tommy Fleetwood, you know, had to feel like, okay, there's nothing you can do about something like that. Yeah. You know, you're just not going to, you know, it, it isn't like, you know, he coughed it up or he missed a putt or, you know, sure, I guess he felt he could have won it earlier. But, look, he made two late birdies to get into the playoffs. And then he gets beat on it by a seventy-foot eagle putt. That's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. So uh, you know, good for him, and it's a great story. And you know, the, the tournament two years in a row has sort of been overtaken by other news, and and both times had had really good, fun endings that uh, got us back to the golf. What about Nick Taylor's mental makeup allowed him to kind of have that shift from the beginning of the tournament to that massive putt uh, to win it? I just think that's golf. I mean, you know, I think if, you know, these guys have been through it enough that they know that they can turn it around. And just because you have a bad stretch doesn't mean you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be working hard at, at trying to, uh, uh, you know, figure it out. So, um, you know, I, I know it didn't look good, but uh, he found some form. I think maybe there's some extra motivation playing in that tournament, certainly. But uh, it was, uh, it was a, you know, a, not only a great turnaround, but you know, look at times during the final round, it didn't look good, and he uh, and he still managed to hang in there. Well, it was amazing comeback, and when you look at this, Bob, well, I don't know if you have any numbers on a guy who's who win the Canadian Open. How well do they normally do in the U.S. Open? Um, 
You know, I don't, I'm not really sure what the record is. I mean, you know, I think it's always been a numbers game, right? And that's part of the problem, you know, is like there's not been enough elite Canadian golfers that, uh, to, to get to, you know, to get to the point where they're, you know, we, we would think that they should be a force. I mean, obviously for a while there, Mike Weir, and I don't think anybody would have been surprised if he'd have won. Uh, the U.S. Open, he was able to win a Masters. You know, he was in contention at a PGA one year, the long time ago that Tiger won. Um, you know, and let's be honest, there was a year where, where it looked for sure that he was going to win the Canadian Open. Um, and, you know, for, for a couple of minutes there, I saw, I kind of thought of Tommy Fleetwood as today's version of DJ Singh. You know, he was the guy who beat uh, Weir in the playoff yep. uh, all those years ago. And it was probably, you know, <laughs> you know, he was, he was, he was probably not the most popular man in Canada, but, uh, but he, uh, you know, this, it's again, it's, it's, it has to do with, with numbers, and that's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's an uphill fight sometimes in that regard. You know, there's some talk that the, that the Canadian golfers as a whole needed this win to kind of just get this group of, what is it, three, four, five guys kind of up and make them feel like they're at the very top. Is that is that a fair comment uh, about this current crop of uh, PGA Tour players? I, I don't think it uh, – I don't think there's – that's wrong, certainly. I think it probably gives confidence to the other guys. Hey, if he can do it, I can do it. You got to believe that Adam Hadwin's thinking that, hey, you know, I've 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 beat him many a time. Why can't I do that on such a stage? You know, and, and the same with Corey Connors and, uh, you, you know, I mean, all in Kenton Hughes, all the Canadian players have to have to get a lift from that. Um, it's got to be a big boost uh, to them because I'm guessing they all feel that they're you know in the same same realm of player. You know, they're they're PGA Tour pros with. With, with excellent skills, they're among the top, you know, players in the world. And if he can do it, why can't I do it? And I, I think sometimes maybe that, uh, that gives you the, the feeling that, uh, hey, maybe I'm next. Bob Herrick joins us. I'm good sports leader, TSN 1260. And you mentioned, Bob, that, of course, you know, the last few years the Canadian Open has been uh, overshadowed by some things, and that's totally fair. Uh, you know, some would say that the PGA Tour is like, this is the greatest thing for us. What a finish. You know, a home guy wins in his home country on a 72-yard playoff putt, and everything's uh, rosy, and now we just move on. But I get a sense that there's still not a lot of closure with, with what happened here last week in, in the golf world. What, what do you see forthcoming? Because I, I have to think that the players who are on the PGA are still kind of waiting to see what's going to actually unfold here in the coming months and, you know, is there going to be any discipline? What are you hearing in that regard? Yeah, it's all up in the air. I mean, I, I don't think anybody knows the answer. Um, uh, I think there, there's a lot that has to be sorted through, um, you know. Um, and uh, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just as much in the dark as anybody. I mean, the players don't know. There's not been much, much uh, information forthcoming. Um, there's so many, so many tentacles into this story. And, uh, I just think that, uh, uh, we got to wait, you know, and, and that's going to be hard to do because it's such a big deal. Such a big story means so much. 
Do you think Jay Monahan? It, it sounds like some of the players have lost the trust in him. Does you know? Does do the players have the strength to to maybe find a new Jay Monahan, a new commissioner, or is this something that they'll weather for a while? How does how does this play out for Jay? Yeah, another great question. I mean, you know, does he have the support? I mean, the the policy board ultimately decides, and two key members of that policy board were were very very. Um, heavily involved in these talks and meetings and 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 rory seems to be on board there's 10 people on the policy board you know so like were the other businessmen the other there's five businessmen five players actually there's one of one of those one of those people is a woman shouldn't say that one of those one of those folks on the on the on the policy board is a woman and and they and they you know you would think that that they, they might be on board with what their fellow board members were doing. And, and if they all are, then Jay will be fine. You know, but, but if the players ex- express enough dissent and, are, and have issues and, and push back and, 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 and show no confidence and, and certainly are, are vocal in it, well, then it might be hard for him to stay on. And that's the big question going forward. Bob, uh, we really appreciate the rundown. Thanks for your time. Quickly, uh, who do you like in the U.S. Open coming up? I like Victor Hovland. He's my choice. Not, not going out on a huge limb there, but look, he's not won a major. He just <laughs> won the memorial. He just won the memorial. He got over the hump in winning. He's been in the top ten in the last three majors. Played in the last group in two of the last three. I think he learned a lot playing with Kepka at the PGA. I think that was really good for him. And so hopefully for him, you know, it, 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 he, he he took a little pressure off by finally getting a win that he kind of needed. And now maybe it frees him up to, to, to play with a little bit more looseness here in, in a big tournament again. Awesome stuff, Bob. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. That's uh, Bob Harrod joining us, a longtime uh, reporter for golf. And, man, that was quite the uh, story. Like, honestly, like, help you understand, Struddy, how you drain a 72-footer like that. It was uh, in that that scene, that moment – Honestly, like when you think of iconic sports moments, that one's going to be there. Like that's yeah. going to be there for a long, long time. I firmly believe it. Like almost seventy years, you know, to be minus fifteen on the weekend to win in a playoff, a seventy-two uh, foot—not seventy-two yards, of course—seventy-two foot putt. It, it's going to be hard to beat that. It's a—it's truly remarkable. Yeah, and just just the, you know, it's been so long. So many people watching. Um, you know, I, and someone texted me and reminded me that it was actually Joe Carter's home run, the Golden Goal of Sidney Crosby, and this one. You know, I think another one you could maybe put in there, although it's not a championship one, is um, what the hand, what's his name there, the, the Raptor. Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Shot. Uh, yeah, Kawhi hitting that one. I know it wasn't yeah. serious clincher, well, but it was a fairly important moment. Um, yeah. Mike Weir winning the Canadian, Masters. Right? Yeah, like yeah. Mike Weir winning yeah. the Masters would be up there for sure. But it didn't have a moment, right? It wasn't like uh, there wasn't that moment at the end, right, where he clenched yes. it or yes. not clenched, I, clenched it. You I, know? I agree. I agree. Yeah. This is yeah. this is what almost makes it bigger because of the moment. And you know, Mike's Weir was one. Hey, who won? You know, not that you knew he was going to win, but yeah, it wasn't as dramatic. It doesn't mean, make it any less meaningful, but it definitely didn't have that one kind of solitary wow moment for sure. Uh, 540, I'm at Sports Leader TSN 1260. And uh, for fun, we will see how um, everybody knows that uh, that Nick Taylor uh, finished first. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood 
was second. Can you tell me the score of the next highest Canadian? Their name and their score. Texas at 10, 12, 60. Up for grabs? Going to tee it up at Eagle Rock. For a little uh, Eagle Rock trivia. Go to EagleRockGolf.com where you can golf for only 50 bucks a day on the weekdays. And you get the uh, awesome smoky EagleRockGolf.com. So uh, who is the second highest Canadian? What was their score? Text the name and their score to 10, 12, 60. Rolling through Monday afternoon. Gregor, Shredwick, Connor, Halley with you. You can text us 10, 12, 60. Email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox. Jay Gregor, TSN 1260.ca. As it's time now for Struds On, brought to you by G. S Construction. Uh, they are very proud to be one of the uh, sponsors for the Kevin Lowe Roast this past Friday. Raised over $100,000. Giving back to their community, GS Construction. The Jason Greger Show presents Struds On Paper Straws. I had to work so hard blowing and sucking to get that thing just to, you know, open up again. It was outrageous. Doing the dirty work. I was similar to Hagen that we're both big guys, and I didn't ever mind getting pounded. I, I mean, I didn't love it, but... His pre-med education. I was in those courses. You don't know what would happen. Let's say I would have hurt myself and I couldn't play hockey. I could be your doctor right now, Gregor. Bend over. Cough. Turn your head. <laughs> All that stuff. I'd have been right there. It's time for Struds On. Uh, make them pay. So I, I don't... I'm not advocating injuring or aggravating injuries for, for players on their team, but when they invite it, you they, they'll walk through the door, you come out there, and you blast them. So at the end of the game, if you didn't see the game, uh, Florida and uh, Vegas, there was you know there was a bit of a scrum around the net, and then Kachuk, like he always does, is going around, and he's kind of slashing guys, and, and he gets tangled up. I think it was Petrangelo, if I remember correctly. And Petrangelo just kind of look at him, not really doing much. If he comes at you, you grab that shoulder and you ragdoll that thing as much as possible. If you can, you body slam. Take him down to the ground, ground and pound. He's the one coming at you. He's doing you a favor. You can see the way he shoots. He can barely move that arm in warm-up. It literally looked like he was public skating. Now, I get it because you just heard, I've had a bad shoulder before. The last thing you want to do is engage in anything. Don't. To not be thinking that if he comes in there, you don't grab him and throw him to the ground or try to rip his arm out of the socket is crazy. I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. He's the one who brought it to you. You didn't go looking for it. He came to you. So when someone walks to the door, Grace and Connor, you grab that thing and you give it the old Texas hog tie as much as possible and bring him down to the ground as quick as you can. Yeah, I wonder if Petrangelo was trying to mind his P's and Q's because he had come directly out of the penalty box. Ah, good point. Good point. Uh, not, I'm not saying he was uh, alert enough to realize that, but I do wonder. Um, although he's not really the most physical player anyway. But I, I do agree with you. At, at that point, he at least could have gotten a scrum, but I think he tried to do nothing because he was like, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't be out here. No, and he's right. But then any, there's four other guys in there, right? Yeah, somebody, so for I, sure. I, I think it was McCabe and White Cloud on defense. You tell me McCabe can't, if he's, he's that guy coming at you, you don't try to rip his arm out? Like, I'm sorry, he's the one's coming. I, I, you're not, yeah. I'm not, I don't think it's dirty because I'm saying that, I'm saying it because he's coming at you. 
So he, he wants to do it. Let's do it. Let's get into it, big boy. Try to wrestle him and toss his arm and twist his arm around and make it worse. You're trying to win a Stanley Cup here. You're not trying to win a, you know, a, congen- a congeniality type of uh, a, a, an award. So I don't know. But your point's well made about uh, Petrangelo. But still, there's four other guys out there. Yeah. Oh, man. Could have got busy. Yeah, I was I was a little surprised to be honest that I was just like, wow, they just keep letting him go around, and he, you know, he's smacking you. And hey, he does what Kachuk does, right? That's why Kachuk's good at being a rat. He's good at it. But you're right, Stretty. When the opportunity was there, they didn't necessarily take it to their uh, full advantage. Oh, it's just crazy. They just you're trying to make the guy. Uh, not suffers a bit of a dramatic word, but you you do want him to feel it, right? You want him to to do it. Now, other guys, if someone comes in and skates away, no problem. And and you you're right. You want to get out of there as quick as you can. But when it's when there's an injury, I think you got to take advantage. I really think you got to make that happen. Uh, also, we had a few people. Hey guys, what about the Paul Henderson? Yeah, fair enough. Paul Henderson, pretty big moment for yeah. sure. I would put that one uh, in there. Uh, and Cons will get the uh, winner. By the way, it was Adam Hadwin at uh, minus eleven. In case uh, you're wondering. Now we uh, we got a few uh, quick. We're going to get to the uh, oil report brought to you by Volvo of Edmonton. Where uh, stop in right now at uh, Volvo, and uh, they have uh, all sorts of uh, great deals as they always do. But specifically right now, you can get a finance a certified pre-owned Volvo for only one point. 2.4%, or if you want a brand new one, it's 2.49% right now at VolvoEdmontonCars.com. And uh, I do want to get to this one uh, in regards to uh, some questions. You know, there's lots of rumors about uh, uh, connecting and uh, how the Edmonton Oilers should go after connecting, give up the first round. Here's the deal. The Edmonton Oilers should not be trading their 2024 first rounder for a winger. I'm sorry. I like connecting a lot. But when I look, the Edmonton orders, what's the number one thing they're missing? Defense. Defense. They need to lower their goals against. They don't need more offense. They led the league in offense. Offense isn't an issue. Would it help? Sure, but it's not my major priority. So I'm not trading in June the first-round pick the following year for a winger. Not doing it, Struddy. What about you? No, I, I think you've got to be a little bit more bargain basement in there. Uh, and figure that out. The, the thing about connecting that worries me a little bit, buddy, he's not a really big guy. So now he, he's put up points. There's no doubt about it. But I, you know, it says he's 5'10". Uh, in English, that's like 5'9.5", right? So I think we've got to be careful what, you know, we, we, we look at these playoffs. Name the smallest winger on the Vegas uh, wings. You know, Marsh is so probably. What is yeah. he? 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, five, um, so I don't know. It's, it's risky. But I think you're right. I... I Unless it's an unreal deal, uh, I just don't see that that's uh, that's the play today for the Oilers. No, it, it makes no sense. It makes I get it's the name, it's the off season. It's like, oh, who's the shiny toy? That's not what Edmonton needs. I'm telling you right now. W- would he help? Yes, but it's not their main area of concern. It just isn't. So, I I, I right now, you get this as the season goes along, and maybe you're at, at the. Uh, trade deadline and you see and all of a sudden it's like okay you know what hey we've secured our defense now we need another winger okay then i'm then i'm on it then i'm on board for that but right now today i think it would be way too premature to look at that type of move. so there you go coming up tomorrow on the show we'll have uh, more basketball vegas first ever 
championship will be on the line. Will we be talking about the Nuggets' first ever NBA championship? I think we will. Also, Strutty's former teammate is now an NHL head coach. Ryan Huska will join us about what he learned not to do from Strutty. All that tomorrow. On behalf of Struts and Connor, I'm Jason Greger. Thanks, as always, for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it, and we hope you are with us again tomorrow. Let's get to a Sports Center update. Brought to you by Legacy Heating and Cooling Home. No payments, no interest for one year in your AC unit. Have a cool summer. LegacyHeating.ca. Good night.